Thank you, Adam. Hey, if you have your Bibles, like Adam said, James chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're coming off the heels of um, Memorial Day weekend six days ago. You celebrated Memorial Day, and uh, you may have had some time with your family or or probably not your friends, right, because we're in a pandemic still, and you may not have celebrated the way you often would. But uh, hopefully you had a great Memorial Day. Here's what we did for our Memorial Day uh, earlier uh, in the week. We cooked, we cooked out. We had a cookout at our house, and it was Susie, me, and our three kids, Hannah, Drew, and April. And then her mom and dad came over as well. And I was all fired up, right? So I went to the grocery store. I had gotten you know, everything that we needed, gotten the, the meat. We were going to grill out burgers. And uh, I got uh, corn on the cob. I, I bought uh, corn that was still right in the husk. So I shucked the corn like I was a farmer out on our front porch and uh, got it all ready, put a lot of time and effort into this. And then I started grilling. So the time came later that day, late afternoon, early evening. I'm starting to grill the corn on the cob and the burgers. Had all this effort put into it. I bought the burgers that were already pre-done. Not, not those frozen Bubba burgers that you might have cooked, right? This was, these were like $2 each, okay? So, so I, I went all out. So I had those burgers burgers, got them all ready, put them on the grill. Man, I was so excited. And so I start grilling. I also took with me my meat thermometer. Yes, I grill with a meat thermometer. That's what us professionals do. And so uh, I was checking the temperature of the burgers. And uh, so I kind of had the grill going, had the top closed. I'm sitting out there just chilling, having a good time, had some music playing, Memorial Day, grilling out, families all together, in-laws are over. And uh, after 15 minutes or so goes by, you know, I go and I check the burger. Oh, they're looking great. So uh, maybe a little something like this, right? Just just a kind of a nice picture of the burgers there. Not my burgers, but they they looked a little better, I guess, than these on the screen. And and so they were ready to flip. So I flipped them on the grill, closed the top of the grill again. A little bit later, I came and I checked the temperature with my meat thermometer, and they were nowhere near done, right? You got to get 145 for a good medium burger, right? That's what us professionals do. And so I I, I checked the temperature. I was a little surprised, like, man, these things aren't heating up. Must be something to do with the quality of the beef that I was using. So close the top again. Go back a few minutes later, put the meat thermometer in, still like a super low temperature. I'm thinking, these things are slow as Christmas. They look like they're cooking okay, but they're slow as Christmas. And uh, so I close it back up. Give it a little more time. At this point, right, I'm having to start moving the corn around because I don't want it to burn. And, uh, and, I, and I go and I put the meat thermometer in, I think like a third time. And uh, still these things are just not getting hot the way I would have expected. And, uh, and so I look at the meat thermometer and, uh, and what I realized was that this was a, a mistake all of us professionals, I'm sure, make at one point or another. My meat thermometer was set to Celsius and, uh, and not, <laughs> not to Fahrenheit. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was not my Memorial Day moment of uh, brilliance. I, I'll just leave it at that. And so at that point, I panic. I haven't even put the cheese on the burgers yet, for crying out loud, right? And... Uh, and so I'm thinking, these things are probably so overdone. So I flip it to, to Fahrenheit. And remember, uh, medium is 145, okay? And I, <laughs> I put this meat thermometer in the, in the burgers, and uh, it's like 130, 135, 140, 145, 150, 155. It's just like raising up. The thing's about to just go in ballistic before my very eyes. And uh, needless to say, by the time it was all done, they didn't look quite like this. 
right? It wasn't quite this bad, but we had Memorial Day hockey pucks for our grilled out uh, Memorial Day celebration. They turned out decent, right? They were just, let's say, really, really well done. So here's the thing about meat thermometers. Here's the thing about that whole little story there is what I was reminded of is that when you look at a thermometer, what it's doing is it is telling you outwardly what the condition is on the inside of whatever it is that you're cooking. In my case, it was hamburgers. What you see on the outside is reflective of what's going on on the inside, and the numbers do not lie. The numbers aren't going to tell you a lie. They're going to be accurate. They're going to reflect what's on the inside. And if it says it's 170 on the, uh, on, the, on the thermometer, man, those burgers are done. Those burgers were done probably 10 minutes ago, right? You should have taken them off then because that thermometer does what it's supposed to do. It's not going to lead you astray. It reflects for you what's going on on the inside. Well, in the book of James, we've been going through this letter written by Jesus's half-brother. James would have authored this letter. It was written to a group of Jewish Christians scattered all over that part of the world. And when he wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, probably the first book written in the New Testament, even though it's not first in order of reading, what we see is that everything he said completely overlays our lives today. And he's going to be talking about today in chapter 2 after already dealing with trials, already dealing with temptations, already dealing with the the subject of God's truth and how we need to be doers, not just hearers of God's Word. He's already dealt, like we saw last week, with favoritism. Today, he's going to be dealing with a very difficult topic. But let me say, not only has this topic been grossly misunderstood in today's day and age, especially within groups of believers, But I will also say that this passage we're going to look at today as we finish out chapter 2 has gigantic implications in the lives of Christians and in the lives of those who are far from God as well. Here's why. What we're going to be looking at here in the book of James chapter 2 is the relationship between faith and works. The relationship between our faith and our good works. And then even beyond that, how those two topics relate to the bigger topic of salvation. And the reason this is so important is because, and I'll be honest, there are a lot of churches just like ours that dot the landscape of our country, of our world even, but especially here in the U.S., where there is a misunderstanding as it relates to faith and works. And there are a lot of people who would call themselves followers of Jesus because they, they were told by their mom or their dad that when they were a little kid, they made a decision. They don't remember it themselves. There's no evidence outwardly in their lives today that their life has ever been changed drastically by a relationship with Jesus, but they feel like they are right with God because mama told them that they prayed a prayer way back when. Or they maybe believe that they're right with God because they walked an aisle or they talked to a pastor or, or they said words, right, to God that, that, that was almost like a mantra in a sense, but there was never any evidence afterwards that there was ever any change in their lives. And what James is going to do here is that he's going to help us to understand the relationship between faith and works, that they are not mutually exclusive, but at the same time, On the other end of the spectrum, there's a misunderstanding in the lives of many who don't know God that they're one day going to go to heaven because they're good people. 
right? And their good outweighs their bad. And so they've got this whole balance system going on in their minds where they think, you know what? Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff that's not so good, but at least I'm not as bad as, and then they name two or three people that they can think of, right? At least I'm not as bad as them. And so, you know what? At the end of the day, my good outweighs my bad. And so I'm sure God's going to let me into heaven one day. James is going to blow that mindset completely out of the water. And he's going to say some hard things here, some some things that are a little bit deep to understand. We're going to do our best to try to help to understand them this morning. But at the same time, he's going to, again, as throughout this whole book, he's going to share some cage-rattling insight. And, uh, and yet, if we're willing for our cage to be rattled, as long as we line up with the truth of God's Word, we're going to come out on the right end of things. And so James chapter 2 is where we are this morning. Let's jump in. Verse 14, we're going to finish out the chapter today. And... Uh, looking at a, uh, a, an incredibly insightful passage of Scripture that, uh, that we need to sit up and take notice. So I really hope you'll lock in and uh, don't go check lunch yet, right? It, it's not going to burn. It's going to be okay. Just sort of lock in, try to remove those distractions because we're going to be looking at some, some good stuff here in these next few verses. So let's jump in. Chapter 2, verse 14. So James asks a couple of questions, and this is how he kicks off the rest of chapter 2. And when he asks these two questions, he's going to answer them in the rest of the chapter. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, James is not asking the question, can a, be, can a person be saved by faith? He's not asking that question. That's not what he's asking. He's not saying, can faith save a person? James knew the, the answer to that question, and the answer was yes. Paul would write later in the New Testament, he would, later in time, he would write that, that it's by grace we're saved through faith. We're saved by God's grace. It's applied to us through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So James knew the answer to that. He's not saying, is faith sufficient to lead a person to salvation? Absolutely, that answer would be yes. What James is asking here is a completely different question. He's asking, can a faith which is void of works that has no outward good works that ultimately flow from it, can that kind of faith, maybe you can add those words in to help you understand, can that kind of faith save him? And the rest of the chapter, right here in chapter 2, James is going to be answering that specific question. He continues, let's look at verse 15 and let's see how he starts to answer this question. He says, a little mini parable here. He says, if a brother or a sister, let's say, is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, right? Think of a real holy, you know, language to this. You know, they just go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, right? They're kind of flowing in their language. And yet, you don't give them what's necessary for their body. What use is that? All right, put yourself in that little mini parable that James tells and make yourself the person who is uh, freezing cold on a winter's night and you don't have enough clothes on. And imagine you go up to a person who is decked out. They don't only have, you know, a long sleeve shirt, but they've got a sweater and then they've got a, a, a little uh, windbreaker and then a heavier jacket on top. And, and you cross paths with them and, and, and imagine that you're the person who says to them, hey, listen, uh, can, can, you, you know, can, can you help me here? I'm freezing. I'm freezing out here in the cold. And that person who's decked out in multiple clothes, right, uh, uh, sets of clothing, clothing and, and, and uh, jackets says, oh, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to hope the best for you. I'm going to wish the best for you. Just go, and I hope you find some food. Be well fed and be warmed, 
right? What is that going to do for you? You're going to be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? I mean, you've got what I need and you won't give it. Your words mean nothing to me. And what James summarizes is, he says, that kind of faith that has no works is dead being by itself. He's saying, this is not even faith. This is not what faith even is. It leads us to an important principle here. And I hope you'll jot this down. We're going to see three of them this morning in the time that we have. And and the This first principle is so important for us to capture from the very beginning. And the principle is this, that good works are an outward evidence of an inner saving faith. Just like that meat thermometer goes into the steak, it goes into the hamburger, it goes into the chicken, it goes into the pork chops, whatever it is, outwardly it's going to reflect on the the screen uh, or, or on the reading what's going on on the inside. Good works are an outward evidence of an inner saving faith. They don't save us. James is going to get to that in a second. We're not saved because we do good things. We're not saved because our good outweighs our bad. We're not going to heaven because we're good people. But rather, good works are an outward evidence of an inner saving faith. Going back to verse 17 again real quickly, that's exactly what James is getting at. Faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. They're not mutually exclusive faith and works hold hands they travel together they're traveling companions you're never going to find them split up james continues look at what he what he says um i'll tell you what let's let's go to our next principle there's a second principle that's going to help us to understand the following verses we're going to see look at look at this second principle and again it's longer but i hope you'll jot it down And this helps us to understand the relationship between works and our faith. Works are not done separately from faith in order to gain salvation. That's what James is getting at. Works are not done separately. You know, I'm going to try to get to heaven. I'm going to try to begin a relationship with God. I want to start going to church. I'm going to start helping people. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm going to start, you know, uh, reaching out to the poor. All those things are noble and great and necessary, but they're not necessary for us to be saved. They don't allow us to gain salvation. Instead, works flow naturally from faith. They flow out of our faith because of our salvation, because we have a relationship already with God. James is going to, he's going to help to clarify this, but here's what we have to understand. Good works do not equal salvation. Good works do not equal salvation. Good works, I mean, you can even add to it, good works plus faith don't equal salvation. We're not saved partly because we believe in Jesus and partly because we give, live a good life. Good works plus faith don't even equal salvation. Here's here's what Scripture teaches, that salvation equals faith plus repentance. That's what salvation is. Not faith plus good works, faith plus repentance. Look at how Luke captures this in a scene from Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 20. This is one of the only places I can think of in Scripture where we see the two components of salvation listed in the same verse. We're, we're jumping in mid-sentence here, Acts 20, verse 21, but I think you'll catch the flow of what I'm aiming at. Paul is talking about his ministry there, in this case, to the Ephesian believers in the city of Ephesus. And he says, this is what we did. We were solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. Here it is. He's about to lay out the two necessary components of a person being made right with God, of a person being saved. 
of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, salvation doesn't equal, or good works don't equal salvation. Good works plus faith don't equal salvation. Salvation equals faith plus repentance. Now, here, here's the thing. This is what we've got to understand. Follow me here. I know this is going deep. Just follow me here for a moment. If a person has truly repented, and that simply means they have owned their sin, they've acknowledged it, they've turned from it, they've confessed it to Jesus, and they've moved on leaving it behind. Doesn't mean we never sin again, but in their mind, in their heart, they have made a clean break from a life of sin. They do not want to be in charge anymore and continue running their life onto the rocks. They have repented, they have turned from, they've left behind their life of sin. When a person has truly repented, what's going to naturally happen is that that sin in their life is going to in many ways decrease and the good works that the Holy Spirit begins to produce as fruit in their life, love and joy and peace and patience and the list goes on and on, are going to be manifested more. See, salvation is not something we work to gain. Good works flow out of our salvation. That's why James is saying, if you say with your words, words are cheap, if you say with your words that you have faith, but there are no works there, what he's saying is, that's a pretty clear indication that there has never been repentance, and repentance is as important as faith when it comes to being made right with God. Words are cheap. Numbers don't lie. James continues here. Look at what he says as he helps us to understand this relationship between faith and works. Verse 18, he says, someone may say, well, say, well, you have faith and I have works, all right? James, I disagree with you, all right? That's, that's what you think. I tell you what, you've got your faith. Well, I've got my works, and I'm just as right with God as you are. He's making a, a point here. Somebody may say, they may want to argue that I have faith and they've got works. Well, I love it. James gets a little, he kind of gets up in our face here a little bit. He says, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you show me your faith without the works, and then I'll show you my faith by my works. It almost sounds a little sarcastic in a way. I don't think he's being sarcastic. He's just making a very strong point that some people are going to take offense to. He says, why don't you show me your faith without the works? It's a rhetorical question. You know why he says that? Because it's impossible. He's saying, you can't show me faith without works because they're traveling companions. They hold hands. They always travel together. Good works are naturally going to flow out of genuine faith and repentance in a person's life. He says, here's the way it operates. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. He says, here's what I'll tell you about just cheap words about saying, oh, yeah, I believe in God or I believe in the Bible or I believe Jesus really existed. He, you believe that God's one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. See, intellectual knowledge about who Jesus is or, or who God is or what the Bible is, those things are important but they're not enough to get us to heaven. They're not enough, enough to get us into a relationship with God. James says, listen, all the demons of hell believe every single thing you believe. <laughs> I mean, if you went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them with Bible trivia, they would wipe you off the, off the court. Man, they, they, would, they would demolish you. They know more biblical fact than you do, and they shudder at it. They do not have a relationship with God. Why? Because they've never repented. They've never turned from themselves, and they've never trusted themselves to Jesus. That's what salvation is. 
And because they've never done that, even though they have the faith, they have the knowledge up here, there are no good works. Because repentance is not present. I mean, you could imagine what the attitude was for many when they first read this letter from James. I mean, this is, I mean, this is getting personal. James continues, look at what he says in verse 20. He says, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? I mean, I don't think he's being sarcastic again here. I think he's just recognizing that, that to miss this truth is foolishness. He says, are you willing to recognize that faith without works is useless? He already said in verse 17, faith without works is dead. Now he even adds to it, says it's useless. It doesn't matter how much you say you believe God. It doesn't matter how much you say you believe the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you say you, 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 know, you, you attend church. It, none of those things are ultimately going to make the difference in your salvation if there's never been repentance that leads to works. That kind of a faith without works is not just dead. He says it's useless. He, he goes to a to an example here, James digs back to the Old Testament. Look at this example he gives out of the life of Abraham. He says, was not Abraham our father? Remember, he's writing to an original Jewish audience who had trusted Jesus. They would have known who Abraham was. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Let me pause there. Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation leader, right? A <laughs> huge name in, uh, in, in church history. He had an issue with the book of James and uh, questioned whether or not it even should have been in the canon of Scripture, largely because of this section of Scripture. Here's what we need to understand. There are, there are two meanings to the word Justified. There's the one meaning that most of us, if you've studied Scripture, are familiar with, that to be justified means to be declared not guilty. We are justified by God's grace. We are declared not guilty. Man, I have sinned a thousand, thousand times in my life, but I'm justified. I'm declared not guilty. God sees me as perfect, not because of me, but because of Christ in me. That's one meaning of justified. But there's another meaning of what it means to be justified and that simply means to be validated or to be proven to be true. Let, let's say I, I make a statement to you and you don't believe me. And, uh, you know, let's just say I make a statement that, that um, uh, say you've never met me. And I, and I say, you know, hey, I work at a church. And I, no, you don't. There's no way you work at a church. You know, you, 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 somebody like you, I, I know you enough. No, you don't work at a church. And I say, well, no, no, let me, let, let me. Let me justify it to you. Let me prove it to you. Let me validate this. And I go to the website, and I bring up our website, and there's my mugshot, right? And I say, look, there's, there's my picture, and there's my name. It has my name, and it has, has my, my title there, and it says that I work at the church. And it's like, you know what? That, that justified my statement. That validated it. It proved it is true. Here's what, here's what, was not Abraham our father justified, or was he not proven, was his faith not proven to be valid by his works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? He didn't just say, oh God, I believe you. If you know the story from Genesis 22, I don't, God, I, I'm not going to say I just believe you. I'm going to say I believe you. I have faith in you. And then I'm going to validate that faith by obeying and I'm going to bind up my son and I'm going to lay him on an altar. And, and, and then we know the story. God stepped in, right? God was testing his faith. 
But Abraham's faith was justified. It was validated. It was proven by his works. Why? Because faith and works hold hands. They always travel together. They don't operate independently, exclusively. They travel together. If faith is authentically present in a person's life, if they know God, works are naturally going to come. We're going to do good things. We're going to think right. Right? We're going to have a right motivation to life. It doesn't mean we're never going to stumble, but that's going to be the tone of our lives. James goes on, he says, you see that faith was working with, holding hands with, traveling with. Faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We are not saved by our works. Our works outwardly demonstrate that we have already been saved on the inside through placing our faith in Christ, turning from our sin and placing our faith in him. He was called the friend of God, and you see that a man is justified by works, validated. His faith is proven by works, not by faith alone. We won't take the time here to take a look. We'll just read the passage Verse 25, James gives another example out of the Old Testament. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified? Was her faith not proven by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Verse 26, James wraps it up. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Yet again, he says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is useless. And again, faith without works is dead. I came across a quote from a theologian <clears throat> that many would, um, many would respect. He said, faith alone justifies. Faith alone ultimately makes us right with God. But the faith that justifies is never alone. Faith alone justifies, right? But the faith that justifies is never alone. There are always good works traveling with it because of the repentance of our lives towards the person of Jesus. You know how all this sums up? It sums up with a simple principle. This is our final one for the day. What you do reveals who you are. I mean, the way we live validates and proves whether we are a child of God who have repented of our sin, placed our faith in Jesus, or whether we have not. Numbers don't lie. Works don't lie either. They'll never save you. But if you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, hey, those good works are going to follow. They're going to be there as part of your life, as evidence of the nature of Christ to change a person's life who surrenders to him wholehearted, right? Every detail of every area of every life wholeheartedly devoted to the person of Jesus. I want to close with just a few questions and we're done. I want you to chew on these as we finish up this morning. Question number one, in your own life, is there outward evidence of an inner transformation that's come by the person of Jesus in you? 
Oh, I'm sure you can look to a lot of things that need to be sharpened and need to be made stronger. I can do the same thing in my life. But can you honestly look at your life and see outward evidence? Is there hunger for Scripture? Is there brokenness over sin in your life? Is there a desire to see lost people made right with God? Is there a a, a desire to walk with Christ, to obey Him? Are those things present in your life? Question number two, what evidence would you say exists that proves your salvation? I mean, what, what kind of a change has been brought in your life since the day you gave your life to Jesus to today? Are you, are you different than you used to be because of the grace that God has applied to your life? And then the last question, are you, are you trusting in your good works to make you right with God? Good works aren't designed for that. They can't bear the weight. What you need is a transaction. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus perfect God came and died in your place and he died a death sufficient to pay for every one of your sins and when he rose again from the dead he proved himself to be God and the only thing that waits now is not him keeping score of your good deeds to see if they outweigh your bad so you can get to heaven doesn't work like that what he's waiting for is for you to say you know what my goodness will never get me there what I need is forgiveness of my badness my sin and maybe right where you sit today You can get it right today for the first time and invite Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and to take over. And what you'll find is, is that when that transaction takes place, your heart's going to change. And over time, you're going to begin to see a lot more goodness flow because it's the nature of Jesus to change a life that's wholeheartedly surrendered to him. I don't know what decision you need to make today. But whatever God's laid on your heart, I encourage you, trust him and follow. And he'll never let you down. God, we thank you today for your word. It speaks so so loudly into our lives. God, I thank you that our salvation is not rooted in our works. God, none of us would make it because the standard is perfection. But God, we thank you that salvation is rooted when we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus who already became that perfect standard for us. And so God, I pray for those today maybe who've always thought mistakenly they know you because they're good. Lord, help them to see they'll only know you because they've given their life to Christ. But God, I pray for those who've already made that choice that we'll understand, Lord, that good works flow naturally out of our lives. And when they come, they're to be done for your glory and not our own. So God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the boldness of James to speak into our lives and help us beginning today to live it and to trust you enough to follow and obey. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.